0: sound and if you're wondering where that sound came from <clears throat> excuse me
1: <clears throat> that's not, not from, the sound of you going Arr.
0: yeah not that part not that beautiful hum that i just did right there that humdinger <laughs> that came from dj devin hancock you can follow him at instagram at dj devin hancock he's doing all kinds of good stuff video producing mixing mastering um yeah so check him out all of our banners, all of our artwork uh, is done by Sissy Art. You can also follow her on Instagram. Um, and welcome to episode I don't even know of Last Week Out because they just keep rolling together and stacking on top of each other. Dude, we're and we up, got our new sponsor. And we got a new sponsor, too. Thanks for reminding me. I almost forgot about that. For all my all my vape family out there, okay, we got a good deal for you right now. If you go to buttoutecigs.com, Make an online order, put in the promo code last week out.
1: Last week out.
0: Last week out. out, 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 out. <laughs> You're going to get 20% off your order. They're shipping, they ship worldwide. It's in there two, three business days. Uh, and it's, I mean, for those of us out there that vape, then you understand how much money we actually spend on that stuff. They've got everything you need the hardware, the juice, doesn't matter. They've got it. Salt Nix. Go ahead and hit them up. Get twenty percent off your order. Support the podcast. Yeah, butt out. Ding, butt, out. butt. Yep. Good, big Mm-hmm. Butt. mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's do a couple introductions here. Adjacent to my left is Anthony Ashy Tatum.
2: Mm-hmm. It's hot out here, man. It's hot
0: out here. Someone needs to follow him with an ashtray and just scrape his legs for him because <laughs> it's getting. It's just ridiculous, dude. You need some head and shoulders. You need a head and body. We got DJ David Slack on the ones and twos over here doing his beautiful thing, mixing and mastering.
2: It's a fucking plant mom. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. There it is. There it is. Uh, Then there's me. My name is Chet Z. And uh, I'm feeling good. We just had a nice breakfast with a very, very special guest. Um, All our guests are very special, but this one is extra special, man. She is a woman who's been through a lot. And she's done what she can to be okay. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's cool to sit and have the conversations we had with you today and hear your perspective on things. Because I can look at you and I can tell that, like I was saying, you're okay. For what you've gone through, like, you're okay. You can see it in your face. And that's a really beautiful thing. Um, I really don't know where to go from there, man. Uh, I guess we'll just kind of get into it. We'll save the story for the podcast. Keep the listeners going. But Miss Debbie Gilbert here.
2: Hey, thank you for coming on.
3: Oh, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, breakfast was nice. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We know Debbie. Uh, Debbie's been around us, and I think in a capacity that we've known you for over a couple years now. And uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself as far as where you come from, things like that, maybe a little bit of your backstory, and then we'll get into our relationship with you. So are you from Arizona?
3: I'm not from Arizona. I'm actually originally from uh, Massachusetts, and I moved to Michigan as a young teen, and then I came to Arizona in 1996.
2: So you went from cold states to the warm one. Yeah.
3: I did, and I wouldn't go back for any kind of money. No, you don't miss the winters? <laughs> I don't, and when I do go back and it's cold, I'm just cold.
2: Well, is your family uh, Patriots fans?
3: We are big Patriots fans, big Red Sox fans.
2: Oh my gosh. All right, and that's been the podcast. Yeah, let's wrap it up. (laughs) Well, uh, so siblings, do you have any siblings?
3: I do. I have an older brother and a younger sister.
2: Well, and you were telling me a little bit about your sister um, at lunch or at breakfast this morning, excuse me. Um that she had recently adopted?
3: Yes, she just adopted three little boys, 2, 4 and 6.
2: Oh my gosh. Oh, I but, missed
0: the first part. I thought she had kids 2 years apart. She just adopted all three at the same she time. She
3: voluntarily did that.
0: What are they, a strong
3: are
2: they all related? Related? Oh my gosh.
3: Yeah, they are siblings. Okay. They're siblings, three brothers.
2: Yeah, we found out on the podcast. Last week that David was actually adopted. Yeah, what was that about? Yeah, I found you that 10 out 10 last week. That was wild. No, I talked you didn't to my wife. Find out <laughs> week, <dude. laughs> I talked to my wife, and she was like, "I was like, did you know David was adopted?" She was like, "Yeah, shares it all the time." <laughs> I told you. That's weird, dude. <laughs> we were all shook up. You could tell. As I'm gonna like put that in the class of guys, just don't listen. Maybe you think I could pass that off. I think so. <laughs> okay, so. You've moved around, you've been out in Arizona, you have a family now out here?
3: I do, I do, I'm married. Um, I have a 15-year-old son, Blake, uh, with Down syndrome, who's quite uh, quite a joy to have.
2: No kidding. And you were telling me a little bit about your job, you're a human resource.
3: I am, I'm in human wow. resources and I've been in it for uh, quite a few years and I, I really enjoy it. It allows me to help people and I like that.
2: Right, well, see, I am terrified of human resources when people come and talk to you are they always scared
3: they are i tell people all the time if you involve me in the conversation it changes the tone
2: yeah it stays on paper yes <laughs> it's pip you're the pip queen
3: just conversation queen i think okay yeah. anytime that i'm involved in a conversation it will change the dynamic of it well
2: you're the right person for the job in talking with you i think that you bring a nice compassion. and. Perspective, and I don't think you would be too biased. I'm not very good at uh, human resources intuitively. It's a really I I like dodge the hard conversation, and then I overcompensate when it comes time to have it. Do you know what I mean?
3: I do. Everybody's like that for the most part. Nobody wants conflict, and they just I think you have to be taught how to have healthy conversations, not necessarily. Yeah, because now
0: that I think about it, some of my experiences with human resources, the way I acted. In- <laughs> when i was confronted about something i did and the way that person reacted to my reaction was always like i look back at it now and i go wow that's a strong individual
2: yeah yeah.
3: (laughs) i think that you have to i think you end up being that way i i think it's a good uh, job choice for somebody who's been a mom okay
2: yeah that makes sense you have to be compassionate and understanding And tough. You're you're
1: the
3: company mom.
2: Yeah, Yeah. well, I would say the company cop, you know, like you're in there and you're just laying down the law. A little Um, bit of both. Yeah, a little bit of both. So what do you do for hobbies?
3: What do I do for hobbies? I love to garden. I love my yard. I could be out there all day, every day. Mm -hmm. That's my, uh, I think it's just my stress release. I just love to see, love to grow things and take care of things.
2: That makes sense.
3: Yeah, I really like it. And um, and I have other hobbies, other things that I do. I do a lot of work with other moms. I yeah. know it's not maybe a hobby, but it's a, a love and an interest.
2: I always say it's a hobby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're a yogi?
3: I am. I'm a yogi. I've been doing uh, that since about 2009.
2: That's where I first met you, was
0: you were doing yoga over at this little spot uh, called... Uh, A halfway house. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You were coming over there and teaching yoga. I think it was Wednesday nights. I believe it
3: was. It was Monday nights. Monday nights. Monday nights. I think I was there about seven. That was fun too. I loved doing Mm -hmm. that. Yeah,
0: because you can see it in your postures. I was saying before we turn uh, cut the mics on. You just got that like you got that brick wall posture. Like, you're just standing straight up. Like, I don't want to fight you. I wouldn't want to <laughs> wrestle you.
3: If I
2: came to the human resource office with that posture, I'd be like, oh no. I, I think that makes
3: it. you stand up straighter too, is that if you're the human resources person. You have
2: to be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 you got a lot on your back. You got to hold it up. Yeah. All right, well, getting right into it. How we know you was through a mutual contact in the rooms of recovery, and we had met your son, and I think it would be best a little bit to share that story. Um, and I think you're the best person to kind of tell it to us, um, even though we've all are pretty privy to sort of who you are and what you've been through. I think for our listeners, not knowing kind of the dynamic of our relationship, I think it would be cool if we talked about that. And if you feel comfortable sharing a little bit. Sure. Yeah.
3: Um, I think that uh, as far as uh, us knowing each other, I got involved in the in the recovery community, not by choice, um, I don't think that's anything that moms choose, but Andrew um, was a heroin addict, and um, when he did choose recovery, and on more than one occasion, um, as his mom, I decided to be a part of that journey, and at at one point it was not a healthy, be a part of it, but then it it did become a healthy part of it, and um, how far back do you want me to go?
2: I mean, I, I think you sharing a little bit about that because I actually met you before anything tragic transpired. So you were coming around and helping with some of the events. Like you said, you were at the Memorial Day barbecue and things like that. And so Andrew was a your son and afflicted with drug addiction. And so for you, how long was Andrew uh, kind of showing signs of serious addiction?
3: I think for serious addiction, I think Andrew was about... 21 when 19 or 20 when we started with smoking heroin 21 22 when it became iv drug use of heroin so it was a really um really rough couple of years as far as the addiction and we just we went through a lot we went through a lot
2: was he staying with you guys through that
3: for some part of it he was with us you know Andrew went into uh, Calvary and in, I think it was May of 2014 and of course they recommended that he go to sober living and that you know all of these things happen and then of, you know of course I'm the mom and I said no we don't need to do that we're not gonna my kids <laughs> not go into one of those places and then I said and so then he came home and that lasted about a week and then I um, and he was using again so then we did a, a, another stint at Calvary. And then that time I did have him go to sober living. And that was about a year back and forth of sober living. And then eventually he did come home. And then um, eventually our family just disintegrated uh, because of, you know, other issues also, but addiction is really a family disease. And his dad and I separated. And then at that point, um, I couldn't have Andrew in the home anymore. I had a little guy who was 10 with special needs and it just it was unmanageable to have well, him home.
2: And you were talking about that is how the family sometimes kind of gets roped into all of this and, and sometimes even ends up, you said, crazier than the actual abuser.
3: Oh, and, and, I, and I totally agree with that. I think that your the whole dynamic just doesn't make any sense. And I know they, you know, they say codependent and different kinds of things. It's just, it, it, it's a, it's a, an illness that just permeates every part of your life, every part of your life. And, and your, all of your other relationships will be involved in it also.
2: And it's just, when I think about that, I can remember back, like I would come and stay with my parents for a short bouts, you know, essentially I'd hit rock bottom and I'd go back to mom's house for a short period of time. And my stepdad, I think the dynamic that you were kind of painting clearly about your situation kind of translates to what I was dealing with was my mom, you know, was more emotionally invested into my recovery than my stepdad was. My stepdad probably had a pretty healthy perspective where he was like, hey, if this kid's um, not going to get his shit together, he needs to just get out of the house. You know and I can't remember you know besides a couple of volatile times in my house my stepdad saying something actually hurtful but for the most part he was just kind of trying to protect his relationship with my mom and trying to protect his security and everything that was going on with it and so when you kind of um, say you know that there was some unmanageability going on in the home and things like that for me um, you know I could see how Parents start to compromise their own values, you know, when the kids are going through those. And was that kind of your experience?
3: That was so my experience. You know, I have a, I have this a belief system that I live by, and it's based on you know honesty and integrity. And uh, I had a conversation with Andrew. Uh, Right before he had he had overdosed, we were in the hospital. And we were in the emergency room, and I sat next to the bed. And I said, "I gotta be done." Because at this point, I'm doing things that go against my very heart, my soul, my nature. I'm lying to cover up for you. I'm I'm making excuses and taking from Peter to pay Paul. I'm I'm doing things that are not honoring me
2: mm-hmm.
3: and I have to stop because I I feel like I'm dying I literally felt like I'm dying
2: do you think you were motivated solely in the love to kind of decompensate your morals there like what how did it get to there like that decline
3: I think you're you're biologically wired to take care of your kids yeah and you're biologically wired to make everything okay for people that you love and I think I thought I was making it okay, and I wasn't making it okay. I, and I wasn't making it better. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of times, you know, my mom used to say, so you're doing this and it's not working. And I would say, yeah. And she said, well, then by all means, keep doing it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so that was, I think, what my when I was saying that to Andrew, something's gotta give. You know, and if that's me, then I, I have to let you go do this and I have to do me.
2: And sometimes in the rooms we see, and sorry, when I say the rooms, I mean the rooms of recovery. And I see that we kind of put in the parents' court like, hey, you're being a codependent. Hey, you're being a mesh. You're being these things. But we kind of belittle that biological pull, you know, that's just... Unwavering in most parents that they're just gonna essentially do whatever it takes to help their kid and so for you where did you see or even did you see that compromise in your character enough to be able to change your you know lying or your justifying to help him like at what point did you realize oh shit you know what I'm doing isn't okay and, and how did you kind of go about changing that for somebody listening who has a kid that's in active addiction
3: well i think you know i found andrew i let andrew come home because he told me that he was going to get into the salvation army and every day he supposedly went down there to try to get in and of course you know he didn't never went down there to try to get in but you know moms hold on to every bit of hope that you can hold on to and um, i found andrew on the floor in the bathroom overdosed. I had to slam the door shut, call 911 and give him CPR. And my 10-year-old was in the front room sleeping. And at that point I said this, this this is no good. This has got to stop because I'm enabling him to do this. And there wasn't enabling there. I should never have let him come home. I should have never let him spend the night there. I shouldn't have let that happen. So the police come, and the paramedics, and they, and they did revive him. And then when they took him, they said, you know, he's going to so-and-so. And I said, that's good. I don't, I don't care where he goes. Yeah. I'm just, I just broke. I mm-hmm. just broke because it wasn't okay. That that is how I was living, and it wasn't okay that that's how my 10-year-old you know, even though he was asleep, mm. you know what are you going to say? You know, don't come in. I'm reviving somebody. Uh, you know, that's just, and I think that's where I finally, and I said that to Andrew that that morning in the in the hospital. I love you, but I can't do this anymore.
2: One, well, you went almost all the way to the brink, almost worst case scenario in that situation. And I think for me, when I talk to parents, because I work in the industry of recovery, and when I talk to parents, they kind of are battling with exactly what you're talking about is like, do I allow them to be here and can I live with the grief of? feeling responsible for enabling to the point that it could be to that detriment, where they overdose in the home. And then on the other hand, it's, hey, I, I kick them out, I don't let them stay with me. And what if something happens to them out there? you know? So for you, when you talk, and I know that you're so involved with parents now, and we'll get into that, um, the nons that you're involved with, all the things that you do in the, in the community, how do you sort of help someone to make that decision between those two potential hardships that they're facing?
3: You know, and, it, and they're both hardships, and they're both, you know, it's it gets to the point of unmanageability, and I think that parents think that if I can keep them here, you're still involved in that sickness where you're trying to control everything that they're doing and everywhere they're going, and you think if you do that, they're gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that where I come from for parents is, I'm not telling you to have them stay or to have them go. I'm telling you that you need to go to get help so that those types of decisions are gonna be easier to make. Wow! I can't, yeah. t- I can't tell you that he's gonna be okay or she's gonna be okay. I don't, mm-hmm. ha- I don't have a crystal ball, but I can tell you that you're gonna be okay if you just go in with an open mind, and listen and then you'll be able to make those decisions based on where you are you and know, st- go so, ahead.
1: so part of our part of our group in a, in in the book that we base our program off of it talks about that if um, if an alcoholic is not ready then tell them to go out and have a drink tell them to go out and try and drink for a little bit and stop abruptly stuff like that you know and to test yourself But when it comes to opiates, specifically, and heroin, it's really tough to have that same attitude, I feel like, to say, well, if you're not ready, then go out and try it some more because it's not the same.
3: No, and you you can die.
1: And and that's such a dangerous line to walk and and to tell somebody that, but at at the core of it, it's still the same thing. It's the same disease, and that's what people need, I feel like. There's no other way to, to find out. I guess you know what I mean and and
3: with uh and with parents who have children who are opiate addicts that's the whole problem if 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 Andrew was an alcoholic I would have just said have a good time Mm -hmm. I'll see you when you're 70 and you're a miserable (laughs) old man and you can live like this for the rest of your life but if you're an opiate addict you're probably not going to
2: well and, and what you were saying too was at the expense of your values. So whether you let them stay or leave, at least stand behind, and maybe I am I hearing you correctly in that, is like when someone's staying and you're lying and you're manipulating and you're compromising your character, that's where the problem is, is in those things. Not necessarily in them staying at your house. And then even if you ask them to leave, maybe still being supportive and loving and all of those things through that, do you think that's what's important to kind of focus on.
3: I do and I tell parents all the time start every conversation with I love you Wow. I love you
2: mm-hmm.
3: and I used to in the last six months that Andrew was out this was, is this was my conversation hi and then he would be belligerent of what he needed and where he was and all those things that happen to you guys that are a crisis that <laughs> yeah. you don't understand that you're making them happen and and <laughs> um, <laughs> And I would say, you "Got us on that one." <laughs> no, to whatever the request was, Andrew, detox or the emergency room—that is what I'm willing to do. I love you. And then he would be, again. And then I would say, "I'm going to go. I love you. You call me when you're when you're ready, and you you want me to take you somewhere. I'll take you anywhere you want to go."
2: Yeah, I hear us uh, in the rooms put our parents through incredibly. Leveraging situations where it's like, listen, I stole this and I need the money or else I'm going to get killed. You know, did you have any of those? Oh, yeah. I paid for
3: iPads and all kinds of things that, you know, that he would, and this is what I mean about the compromising your own belief system things he would steal from us that he would then sell that I would buy back so that my husband wouldn't know it was ever stolen.
2: Wow. And And you have to keep that from the husband.
3: Yes, which forever. Well, I mean, he knows now. I'm saying it on a podcast. (laughs) But, no, I mean, he knows now. Um, Andrew's dad and I actually just got remarried in November um, of last year. And um, that last 10 months that Andrew was sober and that we were involved in the community, our family did a lot of healing all the way around. And I think if we wouldn't have, it would have been more of a tragedy than it was because it was a tragedy. Mm -hmm. But nobody on that day didn't know that everybody loved everybody
2: well and and that day and and we haven't even addressed it so what is that day
3: um that day is the day that i got a phone call from um one of andrew's roommates saying that he was unresponsive
2: and he was living in
3: he was living in a sober living environment Mm -hmm. he was moving that morning um he was going to come stay with uh me for a few weeks until he moved into a uh, a house with some other friends that were sober on January 1st of
2: 2017
3: is when he was going to move. He died on December 13th, 2016.
2: And so for you you said that you know prior to that your family was, you know, in hard, in hardship and in in turmoil, but that day seemingly had a little bit of bonding to it for your your family
3: i think so and i think that um there wasn't anything that was left unsaid i don't um there's no i loved him he loved me we knew it
2: there's something about that is in those moments of pure tragedy that kind of create a moment of clarity It's kind of like uh, you don't wish them on anybody, you know, but I know for me um, Never am I uh, The most authentic me more than in those moments, you know, there's something about them that really uh, Cultivates an opportunity to show emotion and show how much you care about people.
3: I think so and I um, You know, I just had a friend lose a, uh, a friend lose their son and I said to another friend who's in recovery I said, well, what a blessing that you have the ability to show up for her because that's a blessing to have that, to have that because there's some people who don't have that ability to show up for somebody.
2: Did you have that then when you were in crisis?
3: Yes, yes, I did. I was really showered with, with love and attention from the recovery community, from my family, from my friends, yes.
2: Did you know where to go as far as the support groups and things like that?
3: I did know where to go. I, David sucked me into a lot of things. He does that. Right? <laughs> That's his MO. See, it's not
1: just guys in the room. It's, even, it's, it's everyone. Even today,
3: for today, the other day, I told my husband, I said, well, David has me doing this thing. Of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> of course he does. Um, after Andrew died, I was really, uh, you know, the, that group really stayed close in contact with me. Um, I, you know, just a lot of great people. And um, I think February after Andrew passed away, 2017, I was invited to help with h and What's H&On? h and N is um, a, a family support group for uh, family and friends of people who are f- affected by heroin addiction.
2: And these aren't just parents who are going through necessarily tragedy but well I guess it would be tragic but not necessarily death but also active addiction.
1: Recovered addicts too. Oh really? Yes.
3: Oh I definitely I probably had a a 50-50 on recovering addicts and parents and loved ones because recovering addicts love recovering addicts and isn't there always that there's always a fear I mean it's very fearful and I think that when you're in recovery for yourself that doesn't mean that you're know exactly what recovery looks like when your loved one is an addict
2: so what are they recovering from so say somebody's like my family now I'm in recovery what would they be coming to H and on for
3: well, I think that even when your, ki- when your children are in recovery, you still need to recover yourself because it's so traumatic. Yeah. And there's so much blame. Uh, you, the, the, the blame that parents put on themselves to think that they actually had some sort of control over what was happening. And I think that that's a great thing to recover for. And um, it's great to be part of the community that your kids are involved in. And, um, and knowing you're not alone. You know, you can't walk into, like I said earlier, you can't walk into the grocery store and say, hey, I just got in the car and chased a heroin dealer down the street so he wouldn't sell to my kid. People are going to be like, somebody call somebody. But if you walk into one of these rooms and you say that, people go, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. You know? me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Me. And there's a lot to say for that because it makes you feel like you're okay. If somebody else is doing it, you're okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and and it's,
3: it's, how can you not
1: just just automatically try and blame yourself without having any kind of introspective look at it? You know what I mean? As as a, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I could just imagine like you see Karen next door, and and her kids are doing all these things, and then and then you see like this other lady next door and then you feel like your your children of this like what did I do yes you know yeah, my dad and, my
0: dad struggled with that a lot uh, and my mom and my dad because they provided such a good life for me as far as I can remember it was like no matter what like, they just always made sure that like I was into something whether it was baseball skateboarding my dad made sure I had new shoes my dad remember when I first learned how to do a trick on a skateboard and he told me about <laughs> that when I got sober he was like I was just so proud of you and they've just always been there for me But for some reason, I decided to lie, manipulate, steal, cheat from them, and just, like, bring their lives down with mine. And it was like, how do you not blame yourself when you're a parent? It's like,
2: and like they're saying is, for you, do you hold true to the idea? And, And I can't possibly imagine being a parent with no, like, regret or thinking, well, I made a mistake there. I mean, I'm a... I have a dog, I regret a lot of the things I've done with my dog in this period of time, you know, and if it runs out and gets hit by a car, I'm gonna, you know, have that. And so for you, coming into the rooms of H Anon is the unequivocal knowledge that you guys aren't responsible there? Is that sort of the ethos of the group?
3: I don't think so. I think that the ethos of the group is that you are responsible for yourself. I think that a lot of parents, because they feel so responsible for their child, they feel like they have to do something to fix that. Mm-hmm. And I try to tell people, you know, take let's take a look at yourself. What are things that you can do? And and I really think that people react to people who are taking care of themselves.
1: Tell us three C's. The three you can't, C's. You
3: can't control it. You can't cure it.
1: Didn't cause it. And you didn't
3: cause it. Oh damn! Lost see there. Um, see
1: triple C's in our.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so that and I think that and you know d- d- my husband went through the same thing he gave Andrew my my husband didn't have a dad he gave Andrew everything you know I mean you name it motocross whatever sport he wanted to play his time and I mean especially his time like a lot of his time and when this happened he was really at a loss like what did I do I was trying to do all the right things and a lot of parents will feel that I was doing all the right things. What did I do? And you're going to have regrets. I mean, there's going to be things that pop up. You go, I could have handled that better. Right. But this just isn't one of them. I mean, you can handle it better by taking care of yourself, but you couldn't have made this happen. It just not. It doesn't work like that. If it did, then all of us parents, this wouldn't be happening.
2: Right. No, I I couldn't agree more. Let's take a quick break. We're at the 30-minute market. Time flies by. So we're going to take a quick (laughs) break, but we're going to be back after this. And thank you so much for everything we've done up until this point.
3: Thank you.
0: Trying to box me out with more sound. No. Always trying to do that, dude. They're always trying to box me out, dude. Make me feel less than, dude. And you know what? I'm tired of that. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm tired of it, dude. But you know what I'm not tired of? all our sick vape gear that's been provided by Butt Out e <laughs> yeah. Good segue. Okay, yes. okay, okay, okay. You go up on there. You get up on there on the line, okay? You type in buttoutecigs.com. You make an online order. You type in the promo code last week out. Last week out. And what's going to happen when they do that, uh, Anthony?
2: Uh, we're going to get 20% off. If you type that in, you get 20% off and guess what? It gets shipped right to your door. They got all the juices, all the hardware, maybe even the software that you'd need.
0: everything you need Mm -hmm. and that's all I've got coming back from the break
2: (laughs) so we took a break and uh, and we sat out in the living room we talked a little bit and I think that the best place that we could go with this right now is um, post tragedy what you're doing in the community who you are now because I think for me I find it fascinating how you have turned this leaf. And I don't know what you were doing um, extensively during Andrew's recovery, but I know post Andrew's death, I've seen you in the rooms of H&A, and i have seen you at recovery events. I've heard you sharing stories about being at the Capitol um, and advocating for us. Um, and so for you, that, that tool, you know, I... I I'm so fearful to talk about somebody's life as a mechanism for someone else's life, but for you, what I, I've seen is that um, it's, or at least it seems to me that you have taken this tragedy and turned it into something pretty powerful. And so, I'd like to kind of hear what you're doing and, and your perspective.
3: Oh, I think my biggest perspective is I feel like I'm walking for two people.
2: You were saying that,
3: and I and I and. I have to make that difference for two people, which is more than one person. And I think that, um, you know, and I said before, at the end of all this, when I get there, I want Andrew to say, "You did a good job, Mom. You did, you did, you 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 did some good stuff." And even if it's one person, if I said one thing and one person went, "Oh, yeah, okay." Then and and then I think that's all that I need. It's just one person. So I think that a lot of what I do is try to connect with that one person. Mm-hmm. And I do it one person at a time.
2: Yeah, and what group specifically?
3: Well, I have H Anon um, here in the valley, and that it encompasses a lot of anons. You know, there's a lot of great, great people in the recovery community in the valley that are in the anons that I work with. And I do, um, I do a lot of connection with people on Facebook through The Addict's Mom is a, um, a pretty powerful platform. And, um, and we have, there's a national, and then there's the state, Arizona, The Addict's Mom. And we make a lot of connections there. Um, and a lot of times we're able to help parents and help moms get to help to a meeting just to let them know they're not alone which is huge
1: so one thing that i've noticed that there's there's always this disconnect with the way that we find people that need help there always has to be some kind of intermediary right there has like an institution a jail a a, a rehab sober living some kind of bridge because your normal everyday addict who's out there on the street or wherever doesn't meet us normally Right on a day-to-day basis. So how do you, what, what's that bridge look like for you, I would say? I think like, that
3: bridge for the most part for families is other families. And just like you reach out to that addict that you may meet in, in, in any of those instances, jail, rehabs, we reach out to the parents there also. Because, excuse me, even with a, with, there's always somebody connected to that addict. There's somebody else who's been affected by their addiction. So we always try to connect that way. And a lot of times it's through just word of mouth. You know, I might hear of somebody whose child is suffering and then I'll just reach out. Hi, my name is Debbie. If you need anything, you know, feel free to call me.
2: Do you feel responsible to do that?
3: I don't feel responsible to do that. You know, there's a difference between responsible for and a responsibility to. Mm. So What's you can, the difference? Well, you can be responsible for your child who's young or, or, or in that instance. That's a responsible for. Responsibility to is like to your spouse, to your loved one, to your community, to those kinds of things. So I'm not responsible for. I have a responsibility to.
2: And what does your responsibilities look like for you like where do you set that responsibility at like what do you do unequivocally do you think or maybe not even unequivocally but like what because when we were talking earlier you were saying i answer the phone
3: i always answer the phone um no matter what if i if i have a if i have somebody who's reaching out to me i answer the phone i don't I do a better job the longer that I've been at this of not, and you know how this works when you're working with an addict. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't let yourself get entrenched in what they're doing. You know, you, you really have to set boundaries on what you're willing to do. And I've had a few instances where I've had to say, this isn't good for me, I need to not do this. And it just really depends. I'm always going to answer the phone and I'm always going to uh, be there for somebody But there are times when I have to say, this isn't good for me, I can't do this.
2: Having good boundaries?
3: Having good boundaries. And I think that, um, I was talking earlier, there's like a, there's a cycle with it. I'm helping, I'm helping, I'm helping, I have to take care of myself. I'm helping, I'm helping, I'm helping, I have to take care of myself.
2: Yeah, what does taking care of yourself look like?
3: Taking care of yourself looks like, um, to me, especially since I've lost Andrew, it really means slowing down and stepping back. I was talking earlier you get older and, and, and tasks aren't that important and by tasks I mean things that you think you need to do which you really don't need to do um, I, and I really try to lead everything I tell everybody all the time are you leading with love I mean is that where you are when you start because if you're not then you're probably it's probably not something you need to be doing and I think that's where I, I, I try to spend time with my husband I try to spend time with my children um, I'm more apt to uh, just fluff off than I am than I ever was before.
2: What is fluff off?
3: Well, I'm a type A personality. So fluff off to me can be just sit down for two hours and watch a movie. Oh, man. But, but that is, um, I have to do things to recharge and take care of myself. And sometimes when you're in the recovery community, after Andrew passed away, I went in just full bore. I'll be on every committee, I'll go everywhere, I'll do everything. And then, and then you have to start to be reasonable and say, what actually can I do? And I can't do everything. And I can't, I think the biggest thing is I can't stop this from happening. I can make a little difference every day, but I cannot. I can't stop addiction. I can't stop kids from dying. I can't make more moms not join this awful, awful group, which I think In the beginning I felt like if they would just listen to me I can can we just stop this so I think that's where my boundaries are I have to be realistic in what I can accomplish
2: well and I think that's a, a necessary sort of journey along the path that you're going on or even anybody in recovery is like you know for a while you had said for people in recovery you think it's really good for them to be almost unhealthily busy in the beginning You know, and do you think that that natural progression for you was necessary during your grieving process?
3: Oh, I think so. I think that if I wasn't getting phone calls and invited to everything and to be everywhere I Think it would have been disastrous I think that the biggest if you talk to anybody the best thing that you can ever do for yourself is to help someone else So if I wasn't helping someone else, I don't know where I would have been And it's really, um, I had so many great lessons from Andrew in his sobriety. And one of the best ones was, uh, and it's kind of my mantra, you know, if you're going to have, he would say to me, if you're going to have love and compassion for me, then you have to have it for everybody. You can't pick and choose. Oh, fuck. Yes. And that's your kid calling (laughs) you on your shit. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hold on. Can you say that again? That really, that messed me up. Andrew was down at the courthouse uh, and I called him on the phone and he said, yeah, so-and-so's down here and it's somebody that was active using that he used with. And I said, you're talking to him? And he said, yes, mom. And I said, he's a drug addict. <laughs> and he said, so am I. Mm-hmm. And I said, I know, and, and he was so calm on the phone and he goes, mom, I know this causes anxiety. I know you're upset, but love and compassion for me means love and compassion for all of us. You mm-hmm. can't pick and choose. Right. And I and I was like, "Wow, this kid." And um and I have to say, you know, Andrew passed away on a Tuesday. And that initial rage that you feel, "I am going to find out who did this." Mm. How did it happen? What happened? And uh, and I finally got on his phone and I found out the circumstances of what happened. And of course, that person was on Andrew's Facebook page and was like, I can't believe this happened. Oh my gosh, he was doing so well. And I just went off. And I, and I said horrible, horrible things and started sending horrible messages to this drug addict. And I was sitting in my living room and I literally heard him say, Ma, stop you're talking to a drug addict kindness and compassion for me means kindness and compassion for all of us and you can't pick and choose and i thought son of a bitch <laughs> you know <laughs> because it wasn't this person's fault it's not my fault it's not anybody's fault and and i had to realize that and i did um, do I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to go have drinks with this person or anything like that. But I had to forgive them and, and, and not hold it. Like it's, they didn't, it wasn't a crime against me. It was, it's an addictive, it's an addiction. So um, I use that quote all the time when I'm talking to people. You know, you can't pick and choose. Kindness and compassion, you can't pick and choose. Well,
2: and you, you are actually dropping a couple of quotes on us out there um that were really powerful i think too what i i care to ask you about is was there a victimology during all of this and and when did it shift because you don't sit here to me to be i i feel grief with you when you talk about it and and you've even teared up a few times and it's like that's the appropriate emotion right um but for you it doesn't seem to me like you're a person that's beaten down by the tragedy or being a victim. How did, is that just your personal character?
3: I, I think it's my personal character. I also think that I, I go back to, um, I'm walking for two people and I have to honor him. And, and I can't honor him if I'm curled up in a ball in the corner. And I can't honor anybody if I'm saying, if I'm blaming everybody. You know, I had a, another young man that Andrew used with in his younger years, and he reached out to me, and he wanted me to call him. And again, I was in the car, and I sent Scott and Blake into the pizza place, and I sat in the car, and I said, I'm like, damn it, Andrew, i got to call this kid back, and I have to tell him it's okay. And I heard him say, yeah, you do. Let's go call him. And that that young man was on the phone. He was in recovery, and he made amends to me on the phone. And he was crying, and he said, "It's my fault. I know you think it's my fault. It's my fault. I was, you know, I'm the one that, you know, took him down this path." And I said, "It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Because if I say it's your fault, what is that going to do for him? That's not going to do anything for him. That again is somebody's son, somebody's loved one. Mm -hmm. That's a drug addict." That basically is crying and begging me for forgiveness on the phone. What am I going to say? You're an asshole, and it is your fault. Yeah, that's not love and compassion for everybody, and not picking and choosing.
2: How have your how's your faith been? Has it vacillated?
3: You know, I had somebody ask me that the other day, talking about um, going to a medium mm-hmm. and trying to you know contact Andrew, and they said, "Well, most people do that when they don't know where they are," and I said, "Oh, well, I know where he is." Mm so I guess I don't have to do that because I know where he is um yeah it's vacillated but I really try to go with I was chosen to be Andrew's mom and Mm -hmm. I really think that there's a divine thing that happens in how we walk our path and would I choose to not do that to not be here no I would still have chose to be Andrew's mom
2: yeah, that's incredibly powerful. We've had, I don't know if you heard, uh, we had a, a guest named Danielle on here, and uh, she, she had another mutual friend of all of ours who had passed that she was very close with. And I had heard in all of that was um, she was eternally grateful because she got to spend all that time with him. Not to say that if she couldn't essentially mold it the way she'd like to, that. She wouldn't change it because she would have, I I believe, is what she shared. But in hindsight, saying, I'm just grateful for the time that I got, you know, because I could have not got that time, essentially. And that was incredibly impactful for me because I look at some of the tragedies that we've seen and I would change them if I could. Um, But for me, there's just I can't, you know, I can't. And here I am. And so for you. Um, You seem like you are um, not only making the best that you can, but also choosing to use it as a tool.
3: I, I do. And I think, you know, I, I, I tell people all the time, I'm very blessed. I am. I'm very blessed. I have a wonderful family. I'm very blessed. If I had Andrew still, I'd be off the charts blessed. But I think you have to be grateful I think we really get into that resentment and that whole cyclical thing when we start to say how much we've been wronged you know if this wouldn't happen then I wouldn't have done this if this wouldn't have then this and it's um so if you go there it's it's not going to end well you know you're just going to keep on that whole path of of resentment of your life of the people in your life of what's happened and and I don't jump up and down and say, hey, you know, it's great. Because it's not great. To me, losing your kid is like having one in reverse. As happy as you are to get them, to give them back sucks bad. But if we're not, um, if I don't stand tall, you know, that's a reflection for him too, I think. is how I, I think how I feel about it.
2: Well, and that's. That's really beautiful. And I, th- I know that you're helping a ton of people and you're kind of, you know, I mean, you're doing the most. You had said you had told me a story about um, a police officer who gave you resources and and how, you know, why he was doing that was because he had been impacted by this disease. Now, for you, what are you doing in the community right now? What are you working on?
3: Well, I've worked on whatever David signs me up for <laughs> it's, uh,
2: David's like a whirlpool of commitments if you sit if you stand too close, you're just gonna end up riddled with commitments. He's uh, tried to get me a few times and I'm like, nope right <laughs>
3: now <laughs> I'm working on a, a panel of anons that we're gonna have at the um, convention. Uh, here in July and uh, and that's from David (laughs) I spoke uh, last uh, August at in Portland at the at the convention which was really great Um, I love to connect with young people um, and just have a different perspective for them Um, a lot of them uh, just don't you know they don't get their moms or they don't get their dads or Um, sometimes the relationship has been so strained that they don't know what to do when really all parents want you to do is just be okay.
1: Well, in that workshop that you did there in in Portland, like they have no, I mean, maybe there's Al-Anon or something else out there, but a lot of those people have no uh, exposure to any kind of any of that.
3: Right, and and there was even a few parents that were in the the, uh, meeting in Portland uh, that afterwards were like, you know, thank you. I don't know what to do you know can I can I can I have your email address can I know how to get a hold of you on Facebook and I'm like yeah that's great and it's a resource for them even people at that convention that I got hooked up with from different parts of the country you know can you help can I have a parent call you can I you know we're having such a hard time and and I'm always available so it's 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 good to be able to have my experiences help other people. Well,
2: and they absolutely do. Do you, if you could share with a parent going through, and and it's kind of, I'm trying to kind of bridge the gap to people who haven't lost a kid, because for you, I feel like your knowledge um, is way bigger than that, you know? And, and I hope that someone listening who hasn't is able to kind of um, transition you know, whatever they're going through into what you're talking about doing to overcome as far as, you know, reaching out and being a part of the community and, and just being of service to people. Like you had said, for you, for a parent going through what you were going through even prior to Andrew's death, or or a parent who is dealing with that, where do they start? Like, where would they even start?
3: Well, I think that... You know, first realizing that you're not alone and trying to find a connection somewhere, and a lot of the um, uh, the rehabs and that where your children may be isn't is a good place to start, as far as trying to find some support to know that you're not alone, and that is just huge. I think that um, a lot of times we we it, and just like with addiction we uh, segregate ourselves and really just try not to be out in the world because we don't want anybody to know what's going on mm-hmm. i mean who there's nobody throwing their hand up in the air and saying my kid's a heroin addict hi look at me so i think that that the, the stigma is so huge and there's so many different places that they all the anons have websites and phone numbers There's tons of Facebook pages that, um, you know, I know that Facebook gets a bad rap, but some of the groups are just so helpful and can so much bring connection for people who are going through some of the same kind of things.
2: Well, that's great for them. I mean, as far as the Facebook groups being a a platform for connection, we've seen that. You know, we have a couple of pages where they're just so well-intended and they help so much, and it's so hard for people to find resources you know in the community
3: it really is sucks bad (laughs) (laughs) when when i have to tell you when andrew was in the middle of his um addiction and we were trying to find help there was nowhere to go and 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 i have now on my on my computer on my phone like those snapshots of um, where do i go i need help and we don't have any insurance here where do I do? Who do I call? And I, I, I need help and I say here. I mean there's so many resources now that compared to then I had no idea where to go and what to do and I would I mean I've had people professionals who would say to me you know well, I'm, I'll find somewhere for him to go and I have I mean I've whacked out on him. No you won't. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. There's no support for these people. There's nowhere to go. So I think that as a community, we've really rallied and we're doing a better job of getting the word out there and helping people. And it's, it's, it's work that we all have to keep on doing because it's, it's an important message that people realize that they're not alone, there's help.
2: No, yeah, you're 100% right. I can remember uh, my mom struggling for resources and, and it is just an uphill battle. Well, you've definitely covered a lot of ground and it's been incredibly impactful. Do you feel like today um, you're still becoming a better person through all of this stuff?
3: Oh, I think so. I still I have to remind myself all the time. I have to still say, you know, are you living that? Um, You know, and uh, no, we're not perfect. I'm not.
1: So keep signing you up for stuff.
3: Yeah, keep, keep, <laughs> keep, keep my phone number, David. Um, I think that uh, we have to be constantly reminded of, you know, in yoga they call that a mantra, you know? And you know, Andrew didn't know he was giving me my mantra, but that love and compassion for all, you can't pick and choose. Mm-hmm. I don't feel love and compassion every day. You know, there are some days where I'm just like, damn it. But I strive to have love and compassion and I think that's just huge, especially, you know, especially with addiction. It's very, it's hard to be, to, to, to start that way. It's come from love and compassion is a hard place to be every day.
2: Those are the driving principles though. Yes. Well, and I think that's, that takes a certain amount of faith in my mind. It's like, where, how do we even get to there? Because for me, I would say I'm constantly working and I'm constantly growing also and having a, a list of principles that i can use as sort of the trajectory because when you go back and you look at you know well a parent's good intentions you can have good intentions but still be harming somebody either yourself or the addict and when you were saying you know being loving and um, having compassion when you have a drug addict in your house who's doing these things you, you do have love and compassion for them, but you're probably not having love and compassion for yourself. And then there's other principles too, right? Like your honesty or your loyalty to your relationship that sort of get compromised in the mess of it. And you covered, you know, when it's a problem, you know, because having the love and compassion for a drug addict who's using obviously isn't a problem, but when it starts to compromise other areas of your life is when you started noticing, oh, wow, like, this isn't helpful anymore
3: well because uh love and compassion has to start with yourself and i think that if if i look back on on me and my family in the midst of andrew's addiction active addiction i wasn't having love and compassion for myself and i wasn't having love and compassion for him in reality because i was trying to uh, you make excuses and adjust things and control the world, so I wasn't having love and compassion. So I think that parents, they think that they're doing the best that they can and they are with Mm -hmm. the information that they have. I did the best I could with the information I had. When I had better information, I did a better job. So I think that uh, it, it, it makes a difference. You know, If I had love and compassion for Andrew, I certainly wasn't having it for my spouse. You know, I mean, I was being involved in the in the in the craziness of it, which included lying and making excuses and doing whatever I had to protect Andrew from himself.
2: There's no perfect formula in this shit show. Sometimes there is
3: not a perfect formula. But I think that I had a parent say to me one time, don't take away what they are capable of doing on their own. Who, the parent? Yeah, well, we take it away from our kids because they're addicts and we know better and we can tell them how to do it.
2: Steal their dignity.
3: Yeah, and you do steal their dignity. You take away their ability to do it on their own. And, And then it just becomes cyclical from there.
2: I think we do that in a lot of areas of our life, huh?
3: We do because we think we're taking care of everybody. I mean, we think we're doing it and we think we're taking care of everybody.
2: I do it because I'm pomp. I'm like well i i know just look at me i know you know but do you, you don't mean, what do you, you mean pump uh like uh ego like uh, you i'm i'm i feel like i know and so i'm saving this person the journey
0: oh you don't know i thought you knew this entire
3: time
2: i always know man. oh wow you're not wrong if you just listen
3: <laughs> okay so is the oldest one here none of us know uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know what i know now bad. though
0: you know what i know now i know now that i don't know
2: <laughs> exactly
3: yeah, sure. exactly i used to ask my mom all the time like when will i know and she's like i don't know i don't know yet so, <laughs> <laughs> so you're not gonna know
2: okay well we're wrapping up it's been over an hour but what i would like for you to do is um you know just one last tidbit for anybody out there struggling Um, Maybe point them in the right direction. Um, Whatever it looks like for you, how would you like to wrap this thing up? You got anything left on your heart to say?
3: I think I have that you're going to be okay. So wherever you are, if you're listening, if you're struggling, if you're a parent and and you're in this, you're going to be okay. And and I don't know what that okay looks like, but you're going to be okay. And reach out to to any of the resources that you can find and, and get help not for your child and not for your significant other. Get help for yourself. Hmm.
2: Thank you so much, Debbie. That's beautiful.
0: And ending with some things that I do know. Hold on, David. Turn the music down.
1: <laughs> it's literally the lowest it can go. <laughs> turn, it off. turn it off. Turn the music
0: off right now, dude. I have some important things to say. I'm serious, dude. I'll come over there and put you in a headlock, dude. All right, listen. This is what I oh. do know. Oh, Listen to me. This is what I know. And that is that you can follow us on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay? You can
0: like. You can subscribe. You yeah. can support the podcast. You can follow us on Stitcher, Google, iTunes. What's the other one? Shouldn't Spotify. should be saying
1: this over the outro music?
0: No, dude. I got a few more things I want to say, dude. Will okay, you just chill okay, for a okay. second, man? All right, dude. And you know what else I know is that there are resources out there for parents who are struggling? And you mentioned the Facebook groups. What are some of those Facebook groups that someone could put in the search bar?
3: Uh, the Addicts Mom, you could put in the search bar. Okay. Um, any Coanon group would be in the search bar. Naranon, Hanon. Okay.
2: So those are all C O dash anon, A N O N.
3: Yes, anon. So an um, um, Al-Anon is also has has groups. Uh, there's a huge pal. Um, presence here in the valley parents of addicted loved ones that has um groups throughout the valley that's another great resource
0: thank you so much really honestly thank you so much
3: thanks for having me
0: i just been i've been i've been more quiet than i usually am during the podcast because i'm really just trying to like soak in and listen to what you're saying um and it was really, really good. And I just, I just want to thank you. I have nothing insightful to say about this whatsoever. <laughs> so if you're listening, David, play that out. If you think I'm about to, yeah, start playing the outro, fade me out, dude. Fade me out, fade me out, fade me out. No. Uh, oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. I uh, we're just gonna end the show, oh, dude. Just end the show right now. Thank you, Miss Debbie. I appreciate you so much. <laughs> bye bye. Thank you,
2: guys. <laughs>